If I told you there was a 4% chance of rain, would you leave the house in a raincoat, boots, and grab an umbrella? Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't let a 4% chance of rain ever even enter your mind. Or would you? Studies show that only 4% of what we worry about actually happens. Just 4%. And yet we're up all night worrying about all of those what-ifs. All that for a 4% chance of anything actually happening. There is a whole 96% of life we're missing when we're focused on the 4%. It's not that you're a warrior. It's that the 96% feels more uncomfortable somehow. The 96% where things are going well. Possibilities are endless. There are two worlds. One where you're living comfortably in your fear and limitations and victimhood. And another world where you're living in your divine freedom and possibility. And whatever you focus on, you get more of. I want to know where you're spending most of your days. Are you in the 4% or the 96%? Take my limiting beliefs quiz. Find out what's really blocking you. Grab the link in my bio. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Well, today is a very personal and special episode. Well, it is to me and my family. Today, we are talking about what it is like to be born extraordinary. Some of you that have been following me since the old blogging days know the story of my son, Landon. Fun fact, I was one of the first mom bloggers writing under the name One Fabulous Mom. That blog became a tremendous support and inspiration as I navigated what it was like to mother a child with a physical difference. Landon was born with right arterial thrombosis, a series of blood clots in his right arm. We had battled through infertility and gone through IVF to even have Landon, so his birth being anything less than perfect wasn't something that even occurred to us. Nevertheless, this miracle boy came to us in a blaze of glory. We spent 52 days in the hospital with a child that almost was brain damaged, almost had his arm amputated, and almost died. When I met my dear friend Meg, who was also born extraordinary, she changed my perspective on having a child with a difference. I realized that we were not celebrating this difference. We were hiding it and trying to fit in. Oh, the freedom that comes when you get to a level of beautiful, loving acceptance for your life. I am excited for you to hear more about Landon's story, Meg's story, and how to empower children with differences. I am honored to be featured in Meg's best-selling book on this very subject. This is a must-read for all parents. Okay, let's get into it, but first. Are you using your voice in your business? Having a podcast is the fastest way to become a thought leader in your space. It not only builds your confidence, but it builds a reputation for you as an expert in your field. Many women have told me they don't have time to go through my eight-week podcast launch. Well, 
Introducing the White Glove Podcasting VIP Experience. We will get your podcast up and launched in one week. This includes creating, naming, marketing your podcast, getting comfortable with recording, finding your unique voice, and launching with confidence. This is a luxury experience where you'll be guided by me personally through the process. If you've been thinking of launching a podcast and you're looking for a sign, this is it. Use the link in the show notes to schedule a call to learn more. Podcasting has changed my life and 10X'd my business. Let's leap into your next level together. Okay, everybody, today we welcome back Meg Zucker. You know her. Founder of Don't Hide It Flaunted, a 501c3 foundation that celebrates differences so we can go from shame to shine. She is back. You may remember she was one of my first and early podcast guests and a dear friend, but she is back to talk about her best-selling book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. I am so thrilled to have her back. And guess what? I'm a contributor in this book, so I can't wait to talk about this. Welcome to the show, Meg. Thank you so much, Liz. And I'm so glad you mentioned you were a contributor. I mean, that that was everything. What you had to say and share in the book, uh, I did not take for granted. So thanks for being a part of it. Well, first of all, of course you would engage all these other parents and get their stories because nothing drives the whole point home more than knowing that there's a whole community of people with children that have differences and things that they're feeling really uneasy about and how great to just shine a light on that and say, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it and let's not make it such a thing that we can't actually have this conversation. So I am here for this today. Well, you're the best. And I have to say, you know, and I, one thing that I learned is that there are parents, many, many parents with kids with differences, disabilities, and so forth, but not every parent is ready to share in the same way that someone like yourself. And so, uh, and and I started to also realize, as you, as you mentioned, we're friends and really it was trust. It was blind trust. You submitted and provided your story, not knowing what I wrote. <laughs> well, I trust you. I trust you. So I just would do anything, anything you ask me to do, I'm doing it. Um, okay. So before we dive into this book though, let's really start with your journey. Cause some people may have not uh, heard your podcast, your original podcast. Can you tell me um, a little bit more about the genetic condition that you were born with and what it was like for you growing up? If anyone could see me, they can see that I was born with one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, and one toe on each foot. And when I say one toe on each foot, it's not like your foot with a little toe hanging. It's like, I don't know what. It's like one little stump of a something with the toe. Anyway, it's very, very different. And it's based on and caused by a medical condition called ectrodactyly. Um, even though, as you and I have joked, it sounds like a dinosaur. Um, I promise, even though the older I get, I probably am matching my label a little bit more. I'm not a dinosaur. And in fact, it's a condition that I uh, was born with and passed along to two of my three children, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Yes. And so tell me about growing up with this, because I can't imagine, I mean, listen, because I know your story and your amazing parents, <laughs> I kind of know a little bit, but tell, tell us about what it's like to, because that's not something you could just walk around and no one sees. 
that's not like ADHD where I'm walking around going like, maybe someone doesn't know that I actually, like we just said, have zero executive functioning or, you know, this is a, there's a difference between having something like that. That's an invisible, something that you're kind of going through and a difference about you or versus a disability or something that you're living with that is very visible. Yeah. And, and, you know, at, that's that is why and we'll get to the focusing on the book um but how important it is to share all those stories you know but to your point i wear my difference on my sleeve literally and so um because of that i was probably pretty frustrated because one of the things about my genetics that was definitely with me and you know I am super social. I am a joyful, happy person. And so when you're that, when you have that disposition bubbling up inside and want to get out and the world is treating you like you're a fish in a bowl and staring and pointing and things like that, it really is just sort of this weird experience. And so as a result, growing up, I guess it was sort of like a it was two different people with the people that I felt comfortable with, whether it was family or friends, completely myself, didn't think twice physically. I mean, and you asked me what it was like. My parents completely empowered me to just explore every passion, every whim um, and everything. And we can and we will talk about that. But on the other hand, when people were staring, I absolutely hated it. I didn't want to be defined by my difference. So I started hiding my hands when I was in public, really out of shame and out of just the fact that I didn't want my condition to define me. And I felt like, well, if they just get to know me first, then they can know about it later. And then, you know, once they know about the it, at least they got to know me. And, you know, at that evolved certainly by giving birth to my difference. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, growing up with this condition, I know definitely that everyone keeps thinking, oh my gosh, what would I do? I could never do anything possible having one finger on each hand and so forth. And I'm here to tell all of your listeners, if you gave me eight fingers um, on my hands now, I would be a hot mess. I would be, it would just be impossible. I couldn't do anything. So at the end of the day, I was born this way. Um, nothing was, you know, taken away from me. So I think it forced me to become a very creative person. I'm also a lawyer, as you know, and, and have a day job in the professional world. So there's a lot of things that I can do. People can't fathom. And so finally, Liz, I guess a lot of my childhood and growing up was, probably a combination of trying to prove to everyone else, including myself, I was capable of doing pretty much anything and everything. Yeah. And boy, did you prove that shit right, right there. <laughs> uh, lawyer, I'm going to start a foundation. Now I'm going to write a best-selling book. Anything else? Oh no, more. There's more. Uh, so you start the book with a chapter directed at parents themselves, embracing the new normal. Whoo. When I think about that, even just saying that out loud, that realization when you first kind of have these first forays, you know, sometimes when you're a parent of a, of a children with a, dis, a difference or a disability, you spend a lot of time with them. But then when you start taking them out in the public world and you just have to start being like, this is what it is. Like it, it is, it can be terrifying. So I really love that you started with that, embracing the new normal. Tell us about why you thought it was important the, to address the parents. This is one of, this is the chapter that I contributed to as well, but why was that important to address the parents? Yeah. And then, you know, the book's called Born Extraordinary, as you mentioned, but you know, it's not necessarily only kids that were born that way it could happen along the way. Just wanted to call that out. But, you know, I 
knew something that was really, really important. And I even observed it within my own family that when, meaning when I had children and the difference between my husband, John, and myself in terms of receiving the news. Now you would think that I'd be the one like, okay, all good. Well, I can do this. So they can do this. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he was someone who, and is someone who just inherently just isn't consumed with people's judgment and isn't focused on what people are thinking and, and consume with all of that. And I was really focused on that, as you know. And so um, I wanted to write that embracing the new normal for various reasons. One was that I think parents really should, once they learn this, whether it's at birth or along the way, they should start to really do a real important health check on that, like mental health check. You know, who are you um, in that scheme of like being cons- consumed? And the reason it's so important is if you are focused on all of that, um, then how are you possibly going to be able to lead your child with dignity? You know, there's an entire entire chapter on finding their dignity, but how can you expect your child to be a certain something if you haven't personally achieved it? And so that first chapter to me was super important. As you know, Liz, and I want to hear from you because you contributed to that chapter as well as something at the end, but love to hear about that. But I do a lot of forecasting in the book. So that's another reason I wrote the chapter uh, to prepare parents of the kind of comments, often unwelcome comments or, you know, sort of things that you wouldn't really want to hear, but you're going to hear. And and I always think in different ways that no one wants to be blindsided. And so it was almost like arming the parents with that sort of insight before it happens. And then finally, just to be honest about the sort of grieving process, like your baby is not the baby, the quote unquote, perfect baby, as you had hoped and so forth and dreamed. I sound kind of loosey goosey on that hopes and dreams. What are they? And so I, I think you'll recall, I really tap into that movie Moonstruck, where Cher turns to Nicolas Cage. Uh, and uh, okay, she says, snap out of it in that movie of Moonstruck, which I hope people have seen, so they know what I'm talking about, but that's not going to work. But there's a line that Cher says to Nicolas Cage's character, where she says to him, you know, the stars are perfect, snowflakes are perfect, not us, not us. And it was that letting go of the notion of perfection mm. and that realizing and accepting that your baby, as Elizabeth Brunig said uh, in, in an article um, in the Times, your baby is not any baby, it's your baby, the sum of all babies. And in that sense, it's perfection. So there are so many nuggets of stuff, but I, I would love to just turn it to you for a second um, tell us about what you contributed in that chapter and why you decided to choose that story. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately when you have a, a child with a difference or a disability, you know, you just don't want people to treat that child other than any way, but with love, right? You, there's the last thing you want is for your child to be, uh, you know, treated terribly and, you know, there's a lot of fear when you send them out in the world. And uh, I remember, like, you know, my I had a preschool uh, teacher who I was had him in school and he was there and she was just like, he's going to be OK. Like and, and I just remember looking at her tears just streaming down my face and I realized, oh, wow, this is really me. Because like you said, he was born this way, like he accepts this about himself. 
And I had to come to that level of acceptance that this is not there. There was a dream that had died, right? This perfect child dream, especially because I had gone through in vitro. I was like anything else, which is such a joke. Life is all the anything else's. But I'm like, what do you mean? That's not going to happen to me because I've already had my hard time. <laughs> like, but life is life can be hard, right? So that was a shock to me that after one really hard thing, I had another hard thing, right? Like, but I, I think that having that, having a child who's not perfect set me up so well for embracing all of the other life's imperfection and also how beautiful that is because Landon would not be Landon without his experience. He has, his character is so strong. His empathy is so beautiful. He is the most like you bubbly a conversationalist loves to talk to people you wouldn't even like look twice at his arm because he's over there talking and just trying to like be in the world and i just love that for him so yeah. i wanted to add my two cents because i have been there i've been the parent that was terrified out of her mind didn't want to let my kid out of the house and it's been a journey of letting go of kind of understanding that this kid is on his own divine journey that the fear really is not as real as I thought it was, you know, like there's a lot of things that could happen. The, the control is an illusion. You know, a lot of things can happen to us, but I have to let him live his life. And he, his life is meaningful and wonderful. And that's something I really, I wanted other people to know that, that, that even in the midst of this kind of shocks that sometimes you're in, like that you, this is your life, know that this life can be amazing. It could be yeah. better than the one you thought you were going to get. And it's interesting you talked about the in vitro because I didn't go through that. But what I did go through were two miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy before I had our son, Ethan. And I actually lost a fallopian tube. And I make the joke, one finger, one tube, it gets the job done. But whatever. 100%. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I do think it's interesting how the sort of universe works in that in that regard. That's the last thing I want to write about that, you know, my own story a little bit too, of course, to to really fess up. That was my own biggest fear. I didn't want to, you know, my my the chances of my having a child that was born different or disabled or whatever you want to call it. And we can talk about labels if you want. That was not speculation. That was not like potential risk of whatever. It was like actual risk. And, and for me, it's not what I wanted. But after I went through the difficulty of actually having a viable pregnancy and the joy of knowing he was coming, at that point, it was sort of like, okay, all right, bring it on. Let me deal with this because I've dealt with anything and everything to get you. And now here you are. And now it's time for me to step up to the plate because you deserve my unconditional love of not only you, but of myself. And yeah. that is the key. That is the key right there. I love in the beginning of the book, you talk about the labels that people use, difference versus disability. And I think people get real uncomfortable with all these different terms and don't know what to say. And like, what is that? Like, is, is that a difference? Is that a disability? And sh what, I sh what should I be calling it? Because there's all these like, you know, terms, right? And we've kind of, we as we evolve as a culture and a society, we start to retire some of these terms that really are, you know, even when I look at ADHD, right? It's not a disorder. Right, right, but, yeah. Being able to hyper-focus and like literally get anything done to a superhuman level, 
No, not a disorder, you know? So like, it's funny, right? Like we've kind of labeled things in the past differently and now we're starting to evolve. So let's talk about the difference between difference and disability. Can you share why you feel like it needed to be addressed? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the secret is, and you know this, Liz, as a book contributor, originally the book was going to be called Born Different. You know, I think uh, empowering your children to or helping your children claim their power, something like that. And then my publisher um, and my editor at Penguin Random House actually said, you know, it's interesting because you're using the word different, but at the end of the day, some, you know, why wouldn't you put the word disabled in there? And I thought, well, that's a good point. It really should be. So it evolved to the sort of born extraordinary, which I love even more than born for sure. But then there was this sort of understanding. And I said to them, you can't just say born extraordinary, empowering kids with disabilities, because not every parent of a child or child themselves identified with the word disability. And this is intended to be an inclusive book. Um, so I wrote even before the first chapter, I decided to call it out. And really what happened and evolved, Liz, was, uh, you know, originally growing up, I never um, identified the word with the word disabled, and I couldn't really understand, you know, what is it about this word? And then, um, and I've even written about this, that I was watching a, um, a traffic reporter, like, going to work, and and he warned, there's, a, you know, your morning's going to be ruined, there's a disabled vehicle on the road. And then when that happened, I realized, I'm like, oh, that's, it's, it's negative still in the common vernacular. However, there's so many people out there that literally fly the flag of disability pride. And they're trying to move that needle and, and more power to them as well. And so, at the end of the day, and and finally, I realized you you could have three different families. All three have this uh, not the same child, but a child with the same condition, and one will describe their child as disabled. The next one differently abled, and the third is different. And so finally, and and it's really important that I wanted to to call it out to say, hey, let's just give every family the grace and respect to decide what they want to label, how they want to label themselves. Let's also call out the fact that whatever you want to call your child may not be what your child wants to call themselves um, in terms of a label. And also their label of themselves might evolve. They might say X one year and then within a few years are like, oh no, I'm not different. I'm differently able or whatever the case may be. Right. And so most importantly, I wanted to call it out so we could move on because I think the whole and most important point is maybe we don't all share the same condition and maybe we don't all use the same labels, but there's a lot of experiences that we have as people or parents of children with differences or disabilities where we feel the same and experience common things. And that's what I wanted to dig in with Born Extraordinary. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I, I think we've, we've talked about this, but I really don't identify with the word disability because to me it's limiting and I don't want to, I don't want to have that label. I don't want, you know, I would feel the same if I was in a wheelchair. I'm like, no, no, thank you. It's just not something I identify. So I didn't raise my son with that. And I didn't raise him with any label, in fact. And so we, ne we never even said like, you have a difference. We were just, we did say we you have, have a different, we, you have a different looking arm. Your arm works differently. We would say things like that, but we wouldn't like always call it out. And, and then I started learning from you that it is important to actually say a thing is a thing. Like let, let's not pretend that you have the same arm as everyone else. Like that would be ridiculous. So 
there's a power in calling a certain thing a thing, right? Not acting like it doesn't exist or there should, should be some shame around it, but also not making it feel too limiting to the person and letting them, like you're saying, embrace whatever they feel like it is, right? Like, oh, that I don't identify with that. So I love that you're kind of uniting all well, of us, that we can all kind of say, this is this is how I want to roll through life and this is how, what I feel I want to call myself, if at all. Yeah, and, and I think... I think I purposely added it to my book, the concept, because I had written an article in a magazine with that traffic reporter story and they titled it, why I hate the word disabled. I'm like, what? And I was so early in my writing career that I was just so grateful that someone published me. Yeah. You were like, okay. <laughs> I, let them, I let them run with that. And I have such regrets. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's a bigger discussion than people realize. Yeah. But I think is interesting about it. You wrote about how your parents had a philosophy, let go and let live. <laughs> Something you applied in raising your own children. Two of three share your condition. Tell us about why this is so integral, integral for parents to understand and follow the whole let go and let live philosophy. Well, look, you know, I think every parent, of course, wants to raise their kids and protect their children. And that's a natural um, when your child has um, some type of difference, disability, or so forth, the the tendency, or the quite frankly, the natural instinct is to overprotect. And in fact, from my experience, certainly when I think about the way my parents let go and let live, in other words, they were able to take a step back and really let me be me. And you know, I I joked I was. Um, at a at a uh, on my book tour, I was at Politics and Prose in DC, and they live in DC, so they came. And I joke to them, I'm like, either you were incredible or really negligent. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> either you should have done more, or it was amazing that you left me alone. I don't know. But I I talk about the fact that you know, at the end of the day, we as parents, um, not that we don't always want to be there with them all the time, but it's because we can't. And so, you know, it, I, I liken it to being in a boxer, boxer ring, you know, and, and sort of like let the child has to go every round and, and we have to be sort of in the sidelines waiting for them to support them, nourish them, all these kind of things. And so let go and let live. I mean, I give stories. I also give a lot of stories of my personal failures, ways that my parents were like, you do you honey. And, and for me, I couldn't fathom that our son, Charlie, who's also born with extradactyly could play baseball. Like his abilities were probably at that point, whatever my own imagination could be willing to perceive for him. And that was sort of the wall. And so if I couldn't imagine him playing baseball, therefore I didn't open it up as a, and he was like, mom, I want to play baseball. I'm like, what? Uh, here, play basketball like your brother, Ethan, that's possible. Or like I did. And so you know, let go and let live to me was such an important um, thing to write about because I really do think that our children deserve that level of um, confidence in in them. And 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 finally, look, if you're afraid, they're afraid. You know, and they're going to take your cues, especially when they're younger. And then when they're older, they're going to have a lot of resentments um, for sure that you weren't willing to let them take the plunge and realize. So, you know, it's and I know I'm generalizing and I don't mean to, but I think that all of these types of concepts are 
are, are important to explore. I should also say quickly, Liz, that you know the the book the book is very broad. There's so many parents of di- children with every I mean so many different differences and disabilities throughout, and definitely the additional words of wisdom. But you know it's it's really one of those scenarios where you know, some parents need to also do more protecting. You know, there there are certain circumstances that children do deserve that. And so I want to be careful in that chapter to just sort of recognize it. It was really important that this wasn't just about my story, that I had to balance it with the fact that some kids do need the additional, you know, support and and so forth and, and need the additional protection. So very important that I included other people in that. And it's a balance, right? Like we want there to be miracles. We want there to be magic, but then there's also real safety and keeping sort of an attitude of gratitude, even when you're dealing with the worst things in the world, you know? So there's acknowledging things like, Hey, Coco, here we are in the hospital with ulcerative colitis. This is not so fun. It's Christmas, right? So that's not a moment I'm about to be like, you should be more grateful, Coco. Right. Like, that's just a moment. I just said, this sucks. It's terrible. I'm so sorry. I crying our eyes out. You know, I did end up making a joke that I couldn't bring the horse to the hospital that she was going to get for Christmas. I said, I can't, the horse can't come here because it'll be in the hall. It'll be really (laughs) big in the hallway. And she laughed, which made me feel so much better because I thought, okay, maybe she'll be okay. But like, there's sometimes you just have to be like, this is just rough and terrible. Um, but you know what? It's a balance, right? It's the miracles, it's the magic, but then it's also just, again, calling a thing a thing. Like, this is tough right now. This is hard, right? And one of the, go ahead. No, 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 no. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. No, I was going to say, like, like, like Ethan, when he was bullied, you have that chapter about taking the bull E by the horns, (laughs) um, and about how Ethan was bullied. Like, that's a real thing. You can't be like, oh, it's fine. It's blah, blah, blah. You know, there's certain moments where, you have to say, okay, let's meet this moment with 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 a reality of like what this really is. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting because there's there's it's undeniable that our children that have differences in disabilities or our siblings or you know, I have an entire chapter about what about the families, as you know. Um, but it's really cool to watch because they are, you know, a lot of kids um, grow up and in schools and 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 in our, and we can hope that they become empathetic individuals. And what's cool about our children is they don't need to be taught empathy. They don't need to be taught acceptance. You know, and and that goes for their siblings too. And and so you know, when you think in terms of all the benefits. And that's another reason I really wanted to write about that book, all the benefits that go along the way, um, for sure. One more thought about that um, bullying chapter, which I did want to, I mean, if if the worst thing happens and your child is bullied, you know, I did want to talk about the way we dealt with it and approached it and so forth. But uh, I also wanted to address that you know, when you're a parent of a child, and I think Liz, you could probably really relate to this with Landon, you're not actually so worried. I mean, of course, it would be terrible if they're bullied and all that, but you're really worried about who's going to be their friend, who's going to be willing to accept them for them. And so I really wanted to cover that in the chapter because that's what we're focused on even before, you know, and, and also another topic that's really important that comes out in the book, I forget if it's this direct chapter or not, but that it's really important to teach our children the distinction, I think it is in that chapter, between cruelty and curiosity. 
you know, when, when we're talking about, you know, they both can feel like a kid's being bullied. The kid's like, this kid was mean to me, you know, he said this, but it's really just helping them distinguish it because, you know, one thing is intentionally mean and the other one is, is not. And it's important your kid can figure out and understand the difference so that when it happens and they come to you, you can have a really, really clear picture of what's going on and then address it with them accordingly. Yeah. And I think I love when you, we talked, we talked about this uh, also. I love when you make the distinction of that whole, like, be kind, oh, choose yeah. kindness. And it's like, no, choose friendship. Like that oh. kid doesn't give a shit. Like, oh, you're like all nice. And you're like over there and w- with your pity party, or you're just like, think you're kind of above it. And, oh, let me just be nice to the kid in the wheelchair. It's like, no, be the friend, be the friend, like the actual friend to this person. Yeah. That and it's really I what go, it is. And I definitely go into it. And as you know, um, a lot of the programming for Don't Hunt It, Flaunt It digs deep in terms of having kids unite, not despite, but because of their common, um, you know, they don't have the same condition, but they have the same experience and feeling and so forth. And to your point, choosing kindness is insufficient. If if someone tells their kid to be kind, that could be actually being kind, like, hey, let me open up a door and say hi, which is not sufficient, but it could also be doing nothing. To a kid, if being kind could just be like, okay, I'm not going to be mean to this kid. And they pass them on the hallway and that's kind because they weren't doing anything more. And to and to what you were saying and what I wrote about in that chapter, yeah, choose friendship. And, you know, that ch- chapter digs deep how to, to help your kids experience that. Yeah, I think it's an important thing to know. And I'm so glad you brought that into the book because honestly, that was something you and I had talked about. It's the whole premise of your 501c3 that, you know, that there needs to be more than just like kindness. If you had only one thing you wanted the readers to take away from this book, and I know this is nearly impossible because you have all these brilliant, brilliant chapters. And I, I, first of all, I can't pick this. So that's what I love is I'm asking you. Um, If you had only one thing you would want all the parents and the people who are reading this book to take away from Born Extraordinary, what would it be? You know, I write about the fact that, you know, the opposite to me, the opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. And I'm quite sure every misstep I've taken as a parent of not forget my own personal experience, but parent of children that share my condition was rooted in fear. And I think fear-based decisions have always, always consistently led me down the wrong path when it comes to them and ultimately for our family. So I think that, you know, if I had to choose one takeaway, it's really letting those, those parents understand and appreciate the importance of, you know, letting go of those fears in this context. And then finally, and this is so cool about it all, um, you get to this point where you're like, wait a minute, every person that wants to, what do I, what was I so afraid of? Because every person that wants to know my kid, it's like a bubble of love, only the most wonderful, you know, unsuperficial, accepting, fantastic people want to know them, be their friend, date them, eventually marry all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you think about it, I really do believe that. It's like, okay, well, what was I embracing fear for anyway? This was a gift. And I still, Liz, you know, I feel that our family has been touched with such a gift in this experience. And and I'm sure you can relate. 
Yeah. And and so what has been a uh, bonus question for me? What has <laughs> been the, the, like, how have you been received with this book? Have you had people coming up to you just saying, oh my God, thank you. Like, I feel seen. I feel like finally somebody's kind of talking to me. Like, what have people said to you? Yeah, definitely that. Um, you know, I was speaking at the Real Abilities Film Festival doing a book talk in New York City a couple of weeks ago, and a mother of a seven-year-old girl who's blind came up to me and approached me. And I was really, and followed it up with an email even, but I was really taken with something she said, and we didn't cover this chapter, but there's this helping hands chapter, and I go into this sort of, you know, you're 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 being raised uh, it, to feel dignified and your parents have let go and let live. And all of a sudden everyone's acting, you know, in the form of, or coming in the form of my, Mighty Mouse trying to help you. And her teacher in the school, I mean, they all, she's like uh, reading that chapter really not only helped her to empower her child, but empowered her to understand deeply that she was resentful, that she was angry, you know, and, and the school decided, well, she's a mean girl. And the answer is she's not a mean girl. She's just frustrated. And so, you know, like in terms of the reactions that I've gotten with that, I'm so deeply touched and moved, not only that the things that I've written have resonated or have helped families and kids in the way I hoped, but I am delighted when I'm having conversations like this and with people like you, I know, but certainly uh, many people I don't. And they all of a sudden want to share their stories. And all those invisible differences are coming out too. And I think that's incredible. It's incredible. All right. We're on to the speed round, Meg. Uh-oh. And I've okay. changed it since the last time we did it. And you okay, have no so I don't idea know. what's coming because I didn't know. I have no idea what's coming. Well, so it is going to be a true speed round. Okay. Just fill in the blank. There's no okay. wrong answer. Okay. I am. I am learning that. I am learning that I can speak more succinctly than I used to. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's because you're on a book tour and you are having to go on and I had to keep podcasts. So yes, I was on a radio tour and, and my publicist is like, you can't speak for like 30 minutes on the same thing. So all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. When I feel lost, I. When I feel lost, I listen to music. I listen to things that give me that sort of inner peace and joy. And it doesn't have to be like a very slow song either. It could be just an amazing fun song, but yeah, that's, that's it. It's music for me. I love that. I am a woman who. I am a woman who's always thinking ahead. So even though we're talking about my book, I'm already thinking about the next stuff. So um, that's, that's always who I am and what I am. Pushing forward. I love it. Moving yeah. forward. That's because you're a visionary. So you're always looking forward. I am proud of the fact that I. Uh, I am proud of the fact that I uh, had my book published. And and I say that because it wasn't, it didn't happen in a year. Like I signed with my literary agent almost 10 years ago to write some kind of book. And then, and, and somehow along the way, I I started a nonprofit too. And so, you know, I guess I'm proud of the fact that my book was published, but in an unforeseen way, uh, I was able to do it and meet so many incredible people along the way as part of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It that I never, ever would have otherwise met, including yourself. Yay. I love it. Um, <laughs> I always say, worry about the things you can do something about. 
That's a good one right there. <laughs> I am really excited about. I'm, can I really say this? I'm yeah. really excited about a couple of new outfits that I bought. <laughs> you can say that. I have a wedding even in that our neighbor's daughter is getting married in Europe and, and I'm going to the wedding and I can't wait to wear my dress. I is love that, that. Is that shallow and superficial? No, but, you know what? Because sometimes I, you just need a great outfit and you just I mean, feel like a million dollars. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, Liz, I'm all about fashion. So what the <laughs> heck? Like, that's what I'm excited about. <laughs> Clothes make me excited. And I know that sounds superficial, but, you know, I, I will say that um, in a more sort of deeper way to answer that question, you know, when I grew up with everybody staring at me, always, I still do. They all stare at me. But now I'm like, well, I might as well look cute with my outfit because if they're going to stare, let them compliment me on my fashion. A hundred percent. If they're going to take a good long look, then you better give them something good to look at. Let's do this. I would be the exact same way. I'd be like, I'm going to wear hot pink and I'm going to be out there crazy. I'm already doing that. But if I I would, I just would. I would just be like, if you're going to look, I'm going to give you something good. Let's go. I love that. Oh my God. Thank you so much for coming on again, Meg. I really appreciate you. And this book is so, so good. I've had so many friends, you know, of course they, I forced them to read it because I'm like, I did a chapter. You have to read this, but they actually (laughs) did read the book and said that they really, it really touched them. And it's, it's such a great thing to have a book like this to know you're not alone. Well, I appreciate that. And just for your listeners, just going to megzucker.com, you can get all the information about it. Um, one of the final things I'll say is, and, and what I love is, you know, the Library Journal gave it a starred review um, and said it's an essential read for all parents. And that meant the world because absolutely the primary audience are parents of children with differences, disabilities, and so forth. But at the end of the day, it does provide insights to all parents in terms of how their own children are approaching kids that are different and and what they might want to think about um, as part of that experience. So absolutely. um, Well, I will be giving this out as a gift to everyone I know. I already bought about 200 of the white woman books that I already, I'm already committed to that. So this is my other book. I'll be buying a bunch of copies and I put them in my little free library out in the street. And then I just keep replenishing because people just take these books and I just keep replenishing. So I've got my own little uh, stream of revenue for you over here of me buying (laughs) your book. So I appreciate you and I love you. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. You know how to do it. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. <laughs>